Okay, take your Bible tonight. Second Corinthians chapter 7, please. Second Corinthians chapter number 7. I want you to kind of find that place in your Bible, if you would, please. And then maybe if you would go back toward the back of your Bible. If you have a Schofield Bible page, uh, 1312 to the book of First Peter. First Peter, if that would be okay. Unless you and I uh, see just what scripture we've arrived at tonight in the word of God. Notice if you would please. Chapter number 7 and verse number 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, I don't think we need to read too many more verses in that chapter till we get through with that one. Because if we don't park there a while, we won't get anything out of the rest of it. Now, could I read it for you again? Having therefore these promises. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to show you the promises we have. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now over in the book of First Peter, let's read another verse or two. And we'll begin reading First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13, please, if you would. The Bible says, I'll give you just a minute to find it. If you have a Bible like mine, page 1312, the Bible says, Peter is speaking, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or living. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You see that? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's the latter part of 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Be ye holy as I am holy. You say, preacher, I cannot be holy then God is a liar 
And Paul didn't know what he's talking about. Because we can be holier than we are now. Now we may not ever reach God's holiness until we get glorified. But we ought to be on the way every day of our life. And the Bible says this is how you do it. Cleansing yourself. Quit it. Stay quit. Cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in what? The fear of God. Now, I don't think we need to be a rocket scientist to understand these verses. We don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand what Paul has in mind here. We don't need to go off to Bible college someplace to learn Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic to find out that God has a plan for each of us And it is to be like him, perfecting, maturing. The word perfecting means not only to start, but to complete, finish. Don't stop when you quit what you don't want to do. Don't stop till you quit until God says that's enough. And so the Bible talks about that. Now, if you remember in chapter number six, we broke up that chapter in three different uh, stages. And we notice that Paul here is calling the church uh, to something. And I I think tonight that we as a church is also called in the same manner which Paul called this church. Notice verses one through four. God, through Paul, is calling the church at Corinth to a to a, a, a life of service, to a call of service. And I don't think God saves anybody to sit. I think God called, God saves us to serve. We are his witnesses, are we not? And God calls us not to sit and be a constant taker inner. Bless your heart, we need that sometime in our life begin to give out. You know, if you just sit at the table and eat high-protein food all the time and beans and taters and, and gravy and all of that, and you never exercise, guess what you do? Please tell me, somebody, what possibility might happen if you just sit there and eat and eat and eat and never exercise and never give out? What happens? You get out of shape. That's a good word for a preacher. You don't, you don't say that word uh, in public. You just get plumb out of shape. In other words, you can't sit down in the average chair. You're just out of shape. You can't get out of bed by yourself. Somebody's got to roll you out. By the way, that is not healthy. Do you know that some of the most unhealthy Christians I know are faithful folks to church who just take in and never give out, who never exercise spiritually. And uh, so uh, you, Paul here is calling the church to service. 
Notice also down about verse number 5 through 11, he's calling this church to a a life of suffering. Uh, The Bible talks about if we live godly, we shall suffer persecution. And Paul here enumerates the sufferings that he's gone through and also uh, uh, informs the church that probably more than likely they'll have to suffer. By the way, if you live like God wants you to and your family's not living like God wants them to, you put her down. They will excommunicate you. They will not, won't have anything to do with you. You will suffer because of your stand for Christ. If you live right on the job, you don't have to say anything. You just live right. You just have a good attitude. You act like Christ on the job. And if those fellows on the job and those ladies on the job is not saved, they will absolutely, they, they will, they, they will uh, uh, rid themselves of you. You will suffer because you are living like God wants you to live. And all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. Notice in verse number 17, not only he called this church to service, he called the church to suffering. But now in verse number 17, notice what he said. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you unto myself. A call to separation. I said a call to separation. You start living right, you won't have to separate yourself. They'll separate from you. Amen. Some of your friends start offering you that booze that you used to drink. You say, no, I I don't want one. They'll say, what's wrong? You better than me? You think you're better than me? What's wrong? You a holy Joe or something? You a Jesus freak? And you put her down. You live right. And that crowd will separate themselves from you. But we are called to a life of separation. Come out among them, be you separate, saith the Lord. That don't mean that we're to just excommunicate ourselves from everybody. We are in the world, we're not of the world. Can you say amen? Uh, See, there's no problem as long as the boat is in the water. The problem arises when the water gets in the boat. Uh, you have no problem with you living in the world. The problem rises when the world gets into you. And uh, you begin to act like the world and think like the world and go where the world goes. I'm just saying, folk, you cannot, you cannot fellowship with God and Belial at the same time. Light has no fellowship with darkness and neither does a child of God have any fellowship with an unbeliever. So we're called. Now, Lotus. Verse number one and verse number 18 of 16, we're called to a life of consecration. Now let's get this. Don't miss this. When I just saved, just first saved, I was teaching the book of Samuel. And I was reading one day and I was teaching on consecration. I didn't know what it was. So you can imagine what a good teacher, a good lesson I was had. I did not know what it was. Uh, But now let me give you a clear-cut definition of consecration. Can I do that? A good illustration, I think, of consecration. You take a blank piece of paper, sign your name at the bottom, and say, God, you fill in the rest. That's consecration. Having these promises, dearly beloved... 
Let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Preacher, I don't know if I could do that or not. Sanctification is a doctrine that most folk know very little about. I talk about it quite regular. When we are saved, we are sanctified positionally. You got that? Jesus prayed, Lord, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. When I got saved, I was sanctified. The definition for sanctification is set apart. Set apart. When I got saved, God set me apart positionally, and I am now one of his children. That cannot be changed. But God is not finished with me when he saves me. God does not save us to go back to the same hog pen that we were in when we got saved. But I was set apart by God, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, washed in the blood of Christ. I was positionally sanctified, set apart for God when I got saved. But I am being sanctified every day of my life. And it is a partnership between God and me. You got that? Paul said, cleanse yourself from the filthiness Of the flesh and spirit. Is that what he said? Let me show you something in your Bible, would you please? I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 1 again. I should have told you to stay over there just a minute. But it don't make any difference. Uh, You you won't wear the words off by going over there again. Okay. Look at your Bible now. Sanctification. I am sanctified positionally when I am saved. But I am being sanctified every day of my life until I get to heaven. And it is a partnership between me and the Holy Spirit of God. Notice 1 Peter chapter number 1 verse 2. Please let me read it for you. It called elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. When I get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live with me in my heart and life. Is that not so? When I get saved, I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, you tell me what is so big that he cannot enable you to quit. I mean, he's the one who hovered over creation morning and spoke And everything you see came into existence. He's the one, the Holy Spirit, 
That one that has invaded, moved in to your life. And the Bible said we are sanctified by the Spirit. Jesus praying his glorification prayer in John chapter 6. He said to God the Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Guess what the Holy Spirit uses for fuel to change us? His Word. God can't change you watching Roadrunner and Coyote. God can't change you listening to Dr. Fudunk on KSKY. The Bible says, Jesus says... Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You take the word, you read the word, the Holy Spirit's in your heart. You take the word of God to heart, the Holy Spirit of God uses the word and changes us from glory to glory. Do you understand that? Well, I'm just praying God help me quit this. Well, why don't you just quit and give God the glory? Amen. Now, I just use an illustration. Now, smoking won't make you go to hell. Just make you smell like you've been there. But you will not go to hell if you smoke. Unless you're not saved. One beer won't send you to hell. But I got saved and I just decided if I was going to be the right kind of witness for God, there's just some things that a lot of folk frowned on when I did that. And I did not ask God to help me quit smoking. I didn't ask him to help me start. So I just quit. Because I found a reason big enough to quit. And it was God's glory. When I got saved, I did not ask God to help me quit drinking booze and fighting and raising hell and gambling. I just quit. Nobody helped me start. And if I can teach myself how to smoke, man, I can do anything. I can quit anything. I got so sick. But I determined to kill myself. And I smoked and puked and smoked and puked and smoked and puked and puked and then smoked and smoked and then puked. I determined, man, I was going to give myself cancer. I just... I don't ever remember bowing my head and said, Dear God, help me to learn how to inhale. <laughs> did, anybody, did anybody do that? So why should I ask God to help me quit? Although, ain't God good, he will. Because he, the great, all-powerful God, is living in your heart in the person of the Holy Spirit And sanctification is a partnership between you and God. 
You decide, reading this book, what God don't want you to do and what God wants you to do. You turn that over the Holy Spirit on the inside and this thing of sanctification is an inside job. He helps, enables us to accomplish that and we are to cleanse ourselves Cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of what? The flesh, that's the body, that's outward. And the spirit, that's inward. Now what we do, we pick on folk if we see them doing something outwardly. How would you like to learn the difference? Go to Luke chapter 15. And we pick on this guy real bad. Man, we pick on him all the time. In fact, we picked on him so much, we call him the prodigal son. Remember that? And we talk about him living a riotous life and wasting his daddy's money and running with the girls and the boys and till his money run out, end up in a hog pen. You remember that? Notice if you would please in verse number 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living, riotous living. Would you say that might be the sins of the flesh? Would you say the young man might have drank a Colorado Kool-Aid or two? Would you say he might have tried a line of cocaine maybe? Would you say he might have gone to a party or two, learn how to do the two-shoe, the Texas troubadour? Would you imagine he probably danced and corralled and run? Would you imagine that he might have participated in the sins of the flesh? He might have got tattoos. Might have pierced his nose, his tongue, his elbows. <laughs> His big toes. And we'd have seen him and said, Oh, what a wicked, sorry sinner this guy is. How about his brother? He stayed at home. He loved his daddy. Let's see. Verse 25. Now the elder son was in the field. Doing what daddy wanted to do. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called out one of the servants and asked what these things were, what they meant. I bet he's dressed right. All he's been drinking in the field is water. He's not had any Colorado Kool-Aid in and probably hadn't run around with anybody's wife and probably hadn't had any parties. Boy, this guy make a good Baptist. And he said unto him, Thy brother has come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. 
and will not go in, pouting. Therefore came his father out and entreated him, begged him to come to the party. He answered, said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress any of thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, selfish, angry, mad, sins of the Spirit. Which is worse? Which one of those sins did Jesus die for? Which one causes more havoc, heartache, and separation in a family? See, we, we, we look at the boy that took off the far country and did his thing. We call him a terrible guy. But what about the selfish little brat that stayed home and thought everything belonged to him? What about the one that couldn't see anything but what he wanted? See, we'd have made, a, we'd have made a officer out of the one. We'd have to vote to get the other one to come back in. But in God's eyes, they're both terrible, terrible sinners. Amen. And Paul said, some of you folk over at that church at Corinth, now I know you're still not running around down at the cat house and I know you're not one of the prostitutes coming down out of the temple at night and selling your body down on the streets. And I know you're not pimping any longer. And I know you're not selling drugs anymore. And I know you're not doing But some of you folk need to clean up. Amen. And they looked at themselves and said, I'm not living in fornication. And then the Holy Spirit said, yeah, but your pride is showing. Sins, filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. And until we deal with those, we know nothing about holy living. I, I just thought, I thought we'd have a good time. You see, I, I just believe God is extremely interested in holiness. And the reason I think that is because the word is mentioned 659 times in the Bible. Would you think that anything that is mentioned twice would be important? How about three times? How about, God, how about if God just mentions it twice? What if he mentions holiness and his desire for us to live holy? His desire for us to be in the process of sanctification 659 times. Would you say he might be slightly interested in you and I being like him? I I just think that's probably true when you have time maybe this week turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4 I'll not turn there tonight just giving you these scriptures I don't know if I give them to you in the notes or not Ephesians chapter has Mary got them in there nope Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 22 and 24 
And then, of course, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. How? Holy. Holy. Paul said, I want your body to be presented to God holy, which is your reasonable service. He said also in 1 Peter chapter 1, be you holy even as I'm holy. Now let me, let me just pose you a question. What do you think is the biggest detriment to the United States of America? An economy crisis or a holiness crisis? <laughs> Come on now. What do you think would help America more is a hundred more jobs or a hundred more Christians being genuinely holy? Uh, our candidates talks about 12 million jobs being added to the workforce. What would happen if we got 12 million or a hundred million, I mean, just 10 million folks started living like God wanted them to live? That probably change a community. It changed a million homes. It changed 12 million homes. And if we affected 12 million homes, I guarantee that'll affect the job market. I dare say tonight that probably the greatest crisis in America is a wholeness crisis on the part of God's children. Just no desire to live holy. The average church is full of sin. We call it struggles. God calls it sin. Well, preacher, I'm struggling with it. No, what you're doing is sinning. And until you realize it's sin, you won't get over the struggle. Preacher, I'm struggling with this. I, uh, me and my wife struggling. No, you and your wife just sinning. That's the problem. Just sinning. Notice, Peter said that wholeness begins where now? In the mind. Gird up the loins of your what? What? Mind. That's where it starts. It don't start by what you wear. What you wear is a result of what you think. Uh, Holiness is not what you put on and take off. Holiness is what you do here that ends up here. See that? I said, you see that? If I should, and I would never, because I don't think there's anything any more ugly and the trouble. I don't ever have to worry about getting hooked on pornography. Raw stuff don't bother me. It's the imagination that bothers me. A, a lady is more attractive to me with clothes on than one with no clothes on. I never had any trouble going to the topless bars. I never did like stretch marks. <laughs> now I do have problems in some areas. You don't have to worry about me getting hooked on pornography. 
I've got a deal in my hand. It's called a remote control. And I am quicker than wider. My Bible said not to set any wicked thing before my eyes. Got it? I don't know how much of a man it would take just to change a channel. It's right there, guys. You're trapped. The girt that was on your mind is broken and it's just scattered. And you have no control of your mind. What you need to do is gird it up. Hold it in. Control it. Or it will control you. Holiness begins in the mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And that's why the writer said, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Don't be drunk and out of control in your mind. Don't let your, don't, don't let something control your mind. Allow your mind to control you. Gird it up, man. Put a lasso around it. Put a ribbon on it. Even if it's red. Pack it up. Gird it up. Because holiness It's something you determine and make a decision you're going to do. And what you do, you start living holy. And it'll become a habit. And the Holy Spirit of God will join in and help you. And it won't be long until it'll be natural. You and the Holy Spirit in partnership getting rid of the filthiness of the flesh. And the Spirit. And you and the Holy Spirit will perfect, finish holiness as sure as you're living here. You you see that? But you'll have to live separated. Some things you're going to have to cut out. Some things you're going to have to cut in. Because separation is separation from the world, but to God. You just can't separate yourself from what you're doing. Because you've got a void now. If you're going to take something out, you've got to fill it with something that's good. You got that? If you're going to quit going to the bars on Wednesday night, then you need to come to church on Wednesday night. If you're going to quit going to the bars on Saturday night, you need to get ready to come to church on Sunday. Isn't that right? So separation is a separation from the world, but to God. 
The prodigal son said, I'm tired of the hog pen. It stinks in here. Amen. I'm tired of eating corn on the cob with no corn. Amen. <laughs> Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. He said, I'd rather eat high on the hog as to eat with hogs. He made a decision. I am sick and tired of the hog pen. There's no future here in the hog pen. In fact, I don't even like hogs. What am I doing in the hog pen? He makes a decision. I'm going to cleanse myself of this filthy hog pen. I'm going to get rid of this thing. I'm taking my body out. But not only am I taking my body out, I'm taking my mind out. I'm going to go home and apologize to my daddy. That's repentance. And he came out, but he went home. And I'm just saying, Paul is saying to us, if we want to finish the course right and honor God, we're going to have to begin here, decide we're not living there anymore. We're not going there anymore. We're not saying that anymore. We're not listening to those anymore. You cleanse yourself. Why would you do that? Notice this. Having these what? Having these what? Promises. You mean God has promised me something? If I'd get out of the hog pen? You mean there's an incentive for me to live like God wants me to? Talk to me. There, you mean to tell me there's something worthwhile if I will just begin this process of sanctification, perfecting, trying to get more like God every day? You mean there's some reward of that? You say, well, preacher, what are they? Quickly, notice if you would please. Have you, have you noticed? In the first place, look at verse 16. A promise of habitation, I will dwell with them. You mean to tell me if I'll, if I start to, this process of sanctification and I get saved and I start trying to do what God wants me to do, that God said, I will dwell with them? Notice the promise of occupation in verse number 16. And we'll walk with them. Notice the promise of invitation. I will be their what? Verse 6. God. I will be. By the way. If the God of the universe will walk with me. And indwell with me. And be my God. I wonder what down here would be worth canceling all that far. What are you doing that cancels those blessings? Whatever it is, I'll bet it ain't worth it. Fourthly, he said, if you notice, please, the promise of salvation. And they shall be my people, verse 16. 
Notice verse number and the fifth thing, the promise of affiliation. I will receive you. Verse number 17. Who are you affiliated with? Who are you identified with? Your actions and your works affiliate you with somebody. Filthy living, sinful living affiliates you with whom? Right living affiliates you with whom? I'm glad I don't have to wear a suit to look like a Christian. I'm glad I don't have a sign on my back. I'm a preacher. And I don't have a sign on my car. If you love Jesus, honk. Mine says, if you love Jesus, tithe. Anybody can honk. I'm being facetious. You know that. But now notice these promises in the sixth place. The promise of regeneration. Verse 18. I will be. I will be. A father unto you. Notice in the seventh place. The promise of appreciation. You will be my sons. And my daughters. Seven wonderful promises. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, here it is. You can claim every one of those promises. They're for you. Now, some in the Bible are not for you. There's 30,000 blessings promised in this book. Some of them not for you. Where a lot of people get in trouble is they start applying promises and principles to themselves that is not meant to apply to you. A well-known evangelist. I'll not call you his name. Bank ends with R and ends with Robertson. <laughs> a book called A Purpose Driven Life. Got to be careful now. When God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. It wasn't to the church. It was to Abraham and his seed. Most of the promises in the Old Testament are not to the church and to the Christian. They're to Israel. But thank God the promise of Jesus coming soon is to me. So you got to be careful with these promises. But all seven of those are for just you. If you want to claim them. If you don't, you can just foo-foo the rest of your Christian life. In today, out tomorrow, up today, in tomorrow. And go to heaven. And stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And just tell him, I didn't think it was worth it. But you'll get to go to heaven. You'll have a mansion. Plumbing may not work. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. May have rats. No, I'm just kidding. But it's our choice. 
And he said, if you want these promises, you can claim them. But if you want them, it's going to take a cleansing. Claim the promises by cleansing yourself from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. That's good, ain't it? Cleanse. Yeah, the Holy Spirit will help you. Sure will. And we need a radical cleansing, do we not? But thank God we need a reincurring cleansing too. Have you ever read this? If we walk in the light, as he's the light, then we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from what? Do you know that's written to Christians? Not to lost folk? And then it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And the word cleanse there is the word that says continual cleansing. As we confess, he cleanses. And as we confess, he cleanses. And as we confess, he cleanses. Not only is there a need for radical cleansing, there's a tremendous need for reoccurring cleansing. You agree? Since you got saved, you ever got mad? Well, whatever you did since you got saved, he's faithful. He's just. And whatever you confess, he will cleanse. Sins of the flesh, sins of the spirit. I like that, don't you? A claiming, a cleansing, and a continuing process. Let me give you two, two statements. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Bible said fear is the beginning of wisdom. How long has it been since you feared God enough not to do something? Or how long has it been since you feared God enough to do something? Perfecting holiness. Got that? In the fear of God. Some reason or another, fear is a great deterrent And a healthy ingredient in God's recipe for holy living. Is it just things you won't do because you're afraid your wife might have a reaction to them? Have you ever eaten 
a meal that didn't taste good and you acted like it did anyhow? (laughs) Has anybody here has any kind of fear because you don't want to upset your mate not necessarily because you're afraid of repercussions, but you just do not want to hurt the one you love. Anybody like that? Do you ever make sure your dog's not under your car before you back out? It's fear. No, some people are hoping that sucker's under the wheel. <laughs> and I will not say who, Mary. Fear. Fear is an avenue by which God uses. It is a deterrent. Now, but separation and obedience are the two necessities for perfecting holiness. We obey. We separate because of the fear of displeasing God. Got that? 